Here we go. You are listening to Open Mic Law and Gospel on this Friday, November the 6th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And uh, in light of the fact that we're not in the studios, our open mic is really through emails, letters, phone calls, etc. Want to remind you that yesterday with Wes Reimnitz, we decided that we wanted to talk about something that is helpful for listeners in answering questions. We weren't really sure last Sunday even until the election just what we were going to talk about. But during the election, a senator from California on a, she thought was a closed mic, was actually an open mic. She was making the point that the new Supreme Court justice was very much religion-oriented, and that would have an impact on her decisions. And she felt that that was wrong. So that was the question we dealt with yesterday. You're hearing from more and more people. They don't mind you having a religious point of view. Just keep it private. Don't bring it into the public square. What's the public square? The public square is that area of life where politics get involved. Yeah, you may, for example, be against certain immoralities in your religious field. But don't try and speak against people who are living what you consider to be immoral lives. In fact, in some countries, we pointed out, that is regarded as hate speech. And people can be arrested and fined for it. So we were asking the question, how do we as Christians deal with this new understanding that there is a separation between church and state to the point that religious believers should not bring their understanding of reality into the public square. And we made a distinction that I do, particularly when, say, I have a passenger in my Uber cab. I first find out whether they're a believer in Jesus Christ or an unbeliever. If they're a believer, then I would talk about the Bible. Say, let's take the topic of evolution and show how the Bible contradicts evolution. But if I'm talking to an unbeliever, then he's not interested in what I have to say about the Bible because he doesn't believe the Bible. And there's no evidence I can give to him that the Bible is true. In fact, I really believe that there is no simple teaching in Christianity that doesn't necessitate faith to understand it properly. Uh, Jesus fed 5,000 people. Guess what? They all looked to him as a bread king. And Jesus himself said, you saw the miracle but missed the sign, namely that I'm bringing in the new kingdom. I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. So until faith comes, the Bible really isn't that helpful in trying to give people an understanding of reality. What what saves a person is not trying to prove the Bible is true, 
but instead speaking the gospel. So that's what yesterday was about. And we, we made a point that it's really ridiculous for unbelievers to say, we cannot, as believers, posit reality from a religious point of view, because everybody does it. According to the Bible, everyone has a God, even an atheist, and that God is whatever they trust. So if they trust in a particular form of science, that's what they're dealing with. And so sometimes you can use science, properly understood, to counteract their view of science. But when it comes to bringing faith to a person, that is done by the gospel. And what's the gospel? It's not the historical truths of the scripture, all of which are true, but instead is the promises connected to those historical events. So we received an email in light of our conversations, and here's how it starts. I'm thinking about these times in very complex philosophical and political ways through faith. So I ask, what is the truth of our reality today? Are the divine commands of religion a proven theory that a believer living in this postmodern culture can faithfully act on? Now, I understand that the postmodern culture is a culture that, yes, people say, I have a God, but the God that they have is not the God of Scripture. It's the American God. He may be a good creator. He may be able to help people, but they don't have trust in any of his promises because he doesn't have any promises in contrast to the God of the Bible. For example, you can be a Muslim and you can believe that there's an Allah, but there are no promises from Allah where you can be sure that you are going to be saved. But the closest they get sometimes is if you kill an infidel, that you've got a pretty good chance of going to paradise. But even then, you can't be sure. In contrast to the biblical God, that has promises connected not only to believing the trust in the promises of Jesus, but also promises connected with baptism, the Lord's Supper, etc. So are the divine commands of religion a proven theory that a believer living in this postmodern culture can faithfully act on? I would not suggest that the divine commands as found in scripture, and we're talking about the moral commands, that they are a theory. No, they are fact. That is the way God thinks. And the evidence for that is that God often permits negative consequences to occur when you break those divine commands. And, and so they are the real truth of our reality. In other words, not only the second table of the law about not committing murder, adultery, 
stealing, coveting, but also the first table of the law. There's only one God. He's the Holy Trinity with Jesus Christ as Savior. So the commands are very important to understand and attempt to live by because this is the way that God so desires it. Second question, will we be disarmed and harmed if we adhere to a faith construct seemingly not relevant to our times? Now, what does that mean, relevant to our times? I, I think what the writer is asking about is there is kind of a, a morality that is contrary to the Bible, and we can name a whole bunch of things, um, for example, in abortion, in killing older people because they're useless, uh, all, all kinds of things in this area, gay marriage, etc. They may not be relevant to our times in the sense that many people are opposed to this. Now, I, I personally believe if you take a look at the election results, that they are finding that the polls of people leaving the election area are really wrong, that people still lie about how they voted. And part of that is because of the attacks that they will get. I, I'm finding this in listeners who work in places that they will be fired if somebody speaks out against abortion or homosexuality or this kind of thing, because it's considered to be hate speech. In fact, one of the charges is that the high suicide r rate of homosexuals and even women who commit abortions is due to the church attacking them. No, the church is not attacking them. We're attacking their deed, indicating that, and, and this is a fact, that women who have had an abortion, it's not at all unusual six or seven years later that they really get guilty consciences as they realize what they have done against the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And that's not something that can be overcome. God puts that in place to awaken us to the fact that, boy, we may not believe what is relevant to people in our times, and we will be persecuted for it. And you're seeing that happening all over the place, even to the point where stores are being burned down and robbed, etc. Next, what is my obligation to act on the world through the lens of a moral philosophy or a canonized code of ethics? If our great commission is not recognized by the civil authorities of this time, what salvational effect can derive from that kind of evangelism? Well, let's take a look at the ministry of Jesus. 
his commission was not recognized by the religious authorities of his time. I mean, they said, he's a carpenter from Nazareth. Why do we need to listen to him? Did he, therefore, have a salvational effect from his evangelism? He certainly did. Many people came to faith. And on the day of Pentecost, what was it? 3,000 people were baptized and believed in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Even though the world, when they heard the message, the disciples were preaching on Pentecost, thought that they were drunk. And yet, as Peter said, no, it's too early in the morning uh, to be drinking. This is the word of God. So never look at a person who's an unbeliever and say to yourself, it is impossible for him ever to come to faith. If he wants to have a discussion as an unbeliever about morality, there are plenty of resources. Uh, for example, I would go to the medical community when I'm talking about that a child in the womb is a human being and we ought not take its life because it is inconvenient for us to allow it to live. Very important to understand that we as Christians still need to do witnessing. And by the way, as a member of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, I'm happy to report that you can actually get some help in how to make disciples. You go to the internet, lcms.org forward slash making disciples, and they'll give you all kinds of help in how in your neighborhood, in your family, at your workplace, that you may be able to help a person become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Next question. Are we just being civilly disobedient, breaking the very code of ethics we have exposed to in doing that very act of evangelism? What is the proper faith rationale that will allow us to be an effective moral agent in this postmodern culture? Well, take a look at the apostles, after the day of Pentecost, the book of Acts has a number of situations. In one of them, they were put in prison. They were told no longer to preach about Jesus Christ as the Savior. And what did they respond to that? We must obey God rather than men. According to tradition, only John on the island of Patmos died a normal death. The other disciples were martyred for their faith. And, and therefore, that's something that we should expect. And therefore, we need to be effective moral agents in this postmodern culture in helping those who are leaving the church to recognize that what the church is speaking is how God thinks. 
And the way God thinks is often ridiculous, as he himself says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And a lot of times his will is just not understandable. We may not understand till we get to heaven why God allows what he allows. So, next question. Will the abusive truth of our reality ever be dissipated if we continue to turn the other cheek? Will the divine commands of our religions stop this civil abuse upon us? Uh, The answer is no. We're living in a day and age now that is quite different than it was 30 or 40 years ago when Christianity had a moral sway on many people. Uh, Today, they teach that human beings are made in the image of God, but what they have done is reverse that. They have now made gods in their own image. It's very interesting when you look at every other religion in the world outside of Christianity, that the view of God is often the same as the way people look at themselves. God thinks the way we do. Uh, For example, this psychologist, Jung, really a brilliant man, had a lot of interesting things to say about the consciousness of man, but he taught that there was a shadow in man as part of the unconscious. And the way he described it, it comes out really being what Paul talks about in the old Adam, Romans 7. The things I want to stop from doing, I'm unable to stop. And the things that I would like to be doing all the time, boy, that's very hard to do. So we have two problems. One is sins of commission. And the other, these are sins of omission. Good works we're unable to do. God counters both of them. For the sins of commission, he gives us the forgiveness of sins. And for our sins of omission, he gives us the robe of Christ's righteousness. So from God's point of view, we are regarded as those who no longer sin and do all good works because Jesus has done them and transferred that righteousness to us. So we may explain that to the world, but the civil abuse will still be upon us because when the law is preached properly, and that's what law and gospel is about, the law are the demands of God that you would need to meet in order to get to heaven. Well, people don't like hearing that because it shows them they aren't meeting these demands. So they get angry and try and defend their sinful lifestyles. And that means they take abuse upon those who are speaking. This happened in the Bible and it happens in our day. So there's no way in which to stop the civil abuse upon the church. In fact, it'll probably be getting worse 
as more and more laws will attempt to be uh, put into place where the church isn't permitted to be the church publicly. In fact, in California, I believe there's a law that says it is illegal to try and help a person no longer be a homosexual because that is a valid lifestyle, according to the word world, whereas according to the word, it's an abomination before almighty God. So turning the other cheek will not stop the civil abuse upon us. Jesus, in a sense, turned the other cheek where he did not take violent action against those who had decided even to kill him. And that's something we must realize. The email writer goes on, we must stop this evil for the greater good. That's an excellent point. While living in this postmodern culture, we must act faithfully, yet act outside of a restrictive moral code physically sometimes. Why? Because evil is growing and will grow stronger if unchecked every day in the public square. That is an excellent point. And so we have to act outside of certain moral codes put out by the civil authorities trying to keep us quiet. For example, in Canada, uh, radio programs that speak out against abortion are not permitted to be broadcast in Canada. And that's a free speech issue. We can be thankful we live in the United States of America where free speech is most important. And yet we find that even that is being attacked by those who think that the separation between church and state means that Christians ought not be permitted to speak their personal religious views. I don't mind at all when someone on my program writes or phones in and declares that my faith in Jesus Christ is wrong. There is no Jesus as a savior. He's not coming back on Judgment Day. You have the right to speak in that way in a free speech society. But I therefore also have the right to indicate that you are in error and have a wrong view of reality. So the final part of the letter what do you believe or think is the best way to fight the political, social, and spiritual evil in this country and world? The end of 2020 and beyond are very crucial times for our culture, my family, county, and community. What's the best way to fight the political, social, and spiritual evil is to, first of all, work on the basis of God's word as to what is the truth. It doesn't take much of preaching of the gospel for a person to come to faith. Paul was on a horse 
on the road to Damascus, and Jesus came to him, and he immediately came to faith, just hearing the voice of Jesus. Paul, I am the one you are persecuting. And a few days later, he was baptized. That can happen as we continue to speak the word of God and let the Holy Spirit does his work in bringing people to faith. And speaking the word of God means to explain the proper understanding of Bible verses. And how do we do that? Well, we go to church, we go to Bible studies, we talk to those trained in theology. What is the meaning of what Jesus has said? And then share that meaning with those who are in darkness of unbelief. And the Holy Spirit says that by his power, he will bring faith to many to believe that Jesus is the Savior. So I appreciate this uh, email, and I think it expands what we were doing yesterday with Wes Reimnitz. On Monday, we'll be taking a look at a Bible lesson and once more viewing it from a law gospel point of view. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.